I did get some good advice pretty early in my career, which was never say no to a coffee. And I've never said no to a coffee and I've always got something out of it. And I hope have been able to give something back. And I, I you know, the, heard from other people speaking on your podcast about the importance of sponsors and mentors and, and guides. And I, I 100% agree with that. But I would also say, make sure you are a sponsor and a mentor and a guide and that you are intentionally you know, trying to help people um, and connect with people in that way. Hi, I'm Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Moana Weir has over 20 years of executive experience working for large listed corporations such as Bupa, Seek.com, REA, and Melbourne IT. A lawyer by trade, Moana worked in legal, governance and company secretariat, regulatory risk, corporate affairs, and sustainability. About 10 years ago, she started building her experience as an executive director in the nonprofit, government, and community sectors. She is currently the chair of the Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission in the state of Victoria here in Australia, and she's also a member of People and Culture Committee at Movember, a leading charity changing the face of men's health globally. She has previously been the director of V-Line, a government-owned corporation that operates regional trains and coach services in the state of Victoria. I invited Moana to speak to us on building a portfolio of board appointments from her personal perspective, and she has also been great in her conversation with me in expanding on what other opportunities exist for executives that have different skills and experience from her own. We talk about how to start a board position, how to build a portfolio of opportunities, how it happened to her and how it can happen to others. I have split this chat into two episodes. So this is part one. And in this first part, we will focus on board roles and how to start and build your non-executive directorship roles. On the second episode to be released next week, the number will be 105, we will focus on her role as chair, the difference between chairing and being a director, and her role as chair of the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission. So make sure you subscribe and follow the, the Job Hunting Podcast if you're not doing so yet, so that you don't miss out on that second part of our interview. But before we begin, I want you to remember that we have recently updated the optimized job search schedule where you can organize your job search routine. I have provided you with three different versions of schedules that you can use full time, part time and light job searching routines. There's a workbook for you, a short masterclass that you can listen to and make sure that you are on track with your job search. In order to access this document, please go to the episode show notes and find a link to download it. Or you can go to my website, renatabernardi.com, and you will find it very, very easily. 
All right, so let's get on to our conversation with Moana. I hope you enjoy it. I'd love to start with you telling everyone about your career and telling us, you know, about your background and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, sure. So I, um, uh, I studied law, uh, arts law at Monash University, and I did my honours thesis in copyright law because I've always had an interest uh, in that. I like writing. And so as a result, when I went and did my articles, so I ended up in a couple of sort of large top tier firms and I ended up in the IP area and in the IT area uh, in those couple of firms. So Minter Ellison and, um, and then Arthur Robbs, as it then was, so Allen's. And that was in the 90s, Renata, and it coincided very nicely for me with the tech boom, actually. And so, um, you know, I've spent a large part of my career in the tech sector and largely because of this interest in IP and IT, uh, but also because I became very interested in the tech sector. Um, So after I left the firms, which was after about five years, uh, I went in-house and I started my in-house career at Coles Meyer. Uh, as it then was, and which was a great um, sort of um, training ground for me. And I was in the IT area in particular. And from there, I went to my first GC and executive role uh, at Melbourne IT, which is a listed, uh, was a listed company at that time. And I uh, started there, uh, ended up there for about five years and sort of expanded my remit to cover company secretarial risk, sustainability, corporate communications, and also did um, some M&A, which I enjoyed uh, and ended up in the sort of integration of the businesses that we acquired, which I also really enjoyed. And uh, at the end of my time at Melbourne IT, I went and lived in Paris, believe it or not, uh, for a year. Um, My my then partner, uh, who's in environmental research science, um, received a posting to Paris. And um, so I went there and sort of did some contract work for Melbourne IT, but mostly had a break um, for just under a year, which was wonderful. Tried some writing and and, uh, came back quite refreshed from that and keen to stay in the tech sector. And so my next role, my next two roles was again in the tech sector. So with REA, um, which is realestate.com and Seek. So five years each uh, and covering the same sorts of of areas um, as at Melbourne IT. I should say at the end of Melbourne IT, I uh, ran a small business division. So it was one of the businesses we'd acquired um, and it sort of organically came from the fact that I was on the integration side, but I was also very interested uh, in that business. So uh, so that that was great. REA and Seek were fantastic. I did a lot of M&A uh, at REA and I was sort of tangentially involved in that at Seek. So, yeah, so really spent 15 years in the high growth listed sort of tech sector. And from there, I actually moved into health and I went to Bupa for three years and I did a range of roles there as well, which, which I really enjoyed. So I started as regulatory director and then moved to become a strategic sort of business lead for a, a project strategy project we were doing with Bupa Dental and then became MD, acting MD for that business for uh, actually it, it ended up being sort of officially it was around six months um unofficially it was more than more than that um really enjoyed that role uh and obviously uh it's a healthcare provider so very different type of business operationally 
to the sorts of businesses I've come from. So great experience for me. Really enjoyed it. And then at Bupa, I also ended up as acting corporate affairs director um, after that role. So a very challenging role, uh, but very stimulating. I learned a huge amount. And, you know, after, after that, I, which was a very intense period, I should say as well, the two years when I was, you know, acting MD and acting corporate affairs director, uh, decided to take a break. Thought I'd have a year off. The year ended March last year. <laughs> uh, and as it turned out, not a great time <laughs> to really oh. uh, be looking for a new role March last year, as we all know. Uh, so, uh, so actually, like, like quite a few people that I speak to, um, you know, I had to change my plan. And we ended up at our, we've got a very lucky, have a, um, a beach um, house down on the Mornington Peninsula. And um, we ended up living there. Uh-huh. Uh, last year um, because my son was online schooling and, you know, I, I mean, we've got great internet access there. And, you know, I took on a role in September last year, uh, an interim contract role with Victorian Land Registry Services as head of legal uh, company secretarial and risk and finished that up just a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. Uh, so it was a, a year uh, term and, uh, and that's where I am now in terms of the executive career. Non-executive career, I've been doing uh, board roles for around 10, 10 years in the sort of not-for-profit government and community sector. So I started on a school board at the same time. I took on a role at Beeline uh, as a director for three years and uh, I am on the very up board, so the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission board um, the chair there um, I've been there for about six and a half years and chair for nearly five and recently joined the people in culture committee at Movember um, which is a um, okay. fantastic global charity yes I have so many questions for you I thought we were going to start start with the board roles but I have so many questions about your career progression as you were uh, telling us the story I identified some opportunities that were very much not what I had thought for you, like the corporate <laughs> affairs role and you running the business at Rio Group. What think were the strengths that you showed at those times that made you take on those promotions and made people think of you for those opportunities that were outside? I mean, from, from sorry, from an external perspective, it doesn't look like yes. the linear roles that I would imagine. Yes, yeah, I, um, I, it was actually a small business division at Melbourne IT, but um, I was actually asked to run a business at REA and didn't take up the opportunity at the time for various reasons. But I, look, I think, yeah, I, I definitely think I, I, I was listening to some of your podcasts, um, Renata, and you reminded me of that missing 33% uh-huh. TED Talk um, by Susan, is it Colin? I don't know how to pronounce it. I no. say Colin Tuono and Susan, if you're listening, which she does. So apologies. <laughs> Let's talk later. I, yes, I say yes. it in a very kind of Italian, eh? Colin Tuono. Colin Tuono. my best effort. <laughs> yes. Um, look, I, I was reminded to go back and, and visit that. So I had seen that TED Talk some years ago. But, you know, Fantastic, when I watched it. isn't it? It's, I've, it's I've watched brilliant. it so many times, yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. And But actually, it's so interesting. It resonated so much more for me this time. I don't know why that is. It's probably because I've done so much more, um, you know, I've done so many more executive roles since I first watched it. But, you know, I just think it's so accurate, you know, the fact that, um, and it's a particularly sort of 
female gendered thing that no one tells you that, um, you know, this business strategic and financial sort of commercial acumen is absolutely a ticket to play. Um, and particularly when you're in, obviously, the corporate space and the listed company space. And I think um, for me, you know, it's it's having curiosity about the broader business and where the part of the business that you run fits in that broader context and having the ability to properly understand your stakeholders yeah. um, in that business. You cannot do any of that um, unless you understand the business and you understand the drivers and you're curious about how it all fits in and, you know, what is what is the context in which you operate. So I definitely think it's that sort of curiosity and, you know, the ability to really work with the stakeholders to understand that broader context, uh, which, you know, I think sort of singles you out uh, as someone who could move across, across functions and also to ultimately run a business division. So the role running you know, the interim role running the, the Booper Dental business was not something I would have thought to put my hand up for. Um, I was very fortunate to have a, a, a fantastic sponsor in the head of that business um, who suggested to me that I should put my hat in the ring for the role. And, you know, I think for sure uh, it, it would have been uh, partially because um, as the strategic business lead, I'd, you know, very much taken interest in the broader business. Uh, and so, so I think that is absolutely yeah. one one of the factors. But I also think, you know, there's lots of things. I think being ready to take a risk and back yourself to take a risk, a considered risk, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, and I guess to be ready when opportunity, when there's opportunity to actually uh, be ready to take that on. And, and to, um, to know it is an opportunity and to identify it as so, yes. I think so. And yeah. I mean, that takes some courage yes. uh, because, you know, I'd never run, that That was a 500 million revenue business. You know, I'd certainly never run a business of that scale and I'd only once sort of previously run a business, but I had had lots of general sort of executive um, experience and through the strategic project we'd worked on, had a real understanding of the business. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, those are the yeah, I'm, I'm also interested, I mean, you may not have realised this, maybe you do, but the fact that you have had such a rich career with lots of different experiences and living overseas and all of that really does prepare one for VUCA situations like the one we were currently going through and, you know, ending up in March and thinking, gosh, what do I do now? This is so, but, you know, because you are used to the complexity of looking for work or of moving from job to job and you've done that very well. Uh, I mean, of, I'm sure there were bumps along the way, but, you know, I, I can see how the career progression has happened for you in a very positive way. I love the fact that you took breaks can you yes. tell us uh, the why you made those decisions and was it difficult for you? Was there a little bit of an anxiety behind, oh, my God, should I, should I not? Is this yes. derail my career? Because especially, I mean, everybody feels like that, but especially women, you know, they yes. take that really sort of seriously. Tell me how you yes. made those decisions in France and then, you know, in 2019. Yeah, so with the, the opportunity to live in Paris, um, so that was yeah, my my then partner had this opportunity to to go and and do some work in Paris at a climate research institute, um, which of course we were both thrilled by the prospect of that. I did contemplate uh, potentially working for Melbourne IT. We had some overseas offices at that stage through the acquisitions we'd done, mm -hmm. uh, and I did have some conversations with them about 
doing that. But I decided in the end just to take the break. And I did do a bit of contract work uh, for Melbourne IT during that time. But I I just felt, you know, that had been my first uh, executive role. I had really thrown myself into that, uh, you know, sort of body and soul, Renata. And, um, you know, I was actually quite tired. And I just thought, this is an opportunity to to live in France, uh, actually to try and learn French, to write, which was something I'd always sort of aspired to have an opportunity to do. And I just could tell I needed a break. And so I was a bit nervous about that. I was, you know, in my 30s. And that's generally the time where you really want to work pretty hard on your career, obviously. Um, But, you know, I just felt it was better for me at that stage um, just to, to have a break. When you came back to Australia, how long did it take for you to find a job? It was actually very quick because I found the REA role very quickly. And it was, they, they actually had um, advertised somewhere. And um, and so I applied and, yeah, I was very lucky that um, yeah. I got that role. So I actually, yeah, I, I, it was actually very quick. Um, I, I don't want people that. to feel like, you know, it will always happen that way and, you know, it will always be quick. But I think people can take comfort in knowing that it's okay to take a break. You know, life is not going to end and your career will not derail if you decide you need to take time off, even if it's to stay in Melbourne at home. Yes. well, <laughs> During as... lockdown. But <laughs> yes. it's so important. And I, I try to tell this to my clients all the time, Juana. That's why I really wanted to hear your story because your brain functions differently when you're not under that stress. I'm a big fan of a bit of stress. You know, I think it's it's good for your health, uh, but that chronic ongoing stress that sort of adds up and piles up, it eventually it will overflow. Yes. And it will, you know, it will happen in, in a way that's not healthy for you. So taking time off during your very long career, we're working longer and longer hours, right? Yes. It's really great. And, you know, you did that again in 2019. Was that different? Um, well, it was different because I had my son um, oh, yeah. and, you know, and he was uh, 12 at the time. And, and of course, um, you know, we actually, in 2019, we did quite a bit of travel. And uh, looking back, I'm so happy. I'm so happy that that we did that because then it was not possible, obviously, in 2020. Oh, but okay. um, uh, you know, we did some travel together with my son, which was just wonderful. And I did a screenwriters course. I went to LA. Uh, you are serious about writing. <laughs> well, you know, I've never re- sort of properly um, given myself the time to do it, but I I just have this interest in film and. Um, and so I, I did the screenwriters course. I went to LA, and that was fantastic. Um, and just really wanted to f- sort of replenish and, you know, use my brain in a different way. Um, if I was going to have the break, I did think about, well, should I do a sort of vacation-related course? Um, and there's some courses, you know, that I've always had in mind on that front. But I just thought, no, this is the time um, to to do what I would not ordinarily have a chance to do. Uh, in my executive life uh, and you know I'm just going to feed my soul and it was it was wonderful. Mm, Excellent no I I really love that and I'm also now as you know because we discussed this earlier very interested in your board appointments and how you're growing that portfolio and how you've sort of worked weave that into your operational roles like doing that alongside as well which is sometimes you know hard to do so can you go back to how it actually started and maybe reference would it 
happen like that again now? Have things changed, you know, since your first board appointment? Yes. So I, um, at the time I, of my first board appointment, I had been, I'm just trying to think, I had been a company secretary for some time and operated at that sort of executive level in that board context, also as general counsel for probably 10 years um, before my first board role. And I was approached to join a school board. It ended up being the school my son went to, but my son was only one at the time. So I was an independent um, director when I joined. Was that uh, but, a volunteer one or was it a paid? A volunteer? No, it was a volunteer one. Okay. And, you know, I'd always had an interest. Uh, well, I had an interest. Uh, it was obviously pretty um, adjacent to uh, my executive career and and being in the education, it was appealing, you know, the purpose yeah. uh, part of it was appealing. So, uh, so that was my first board. And then uh, I was approached to join the V-Line board uh, a few years after that. And actually, yeah, not, not long after that. So actually, I, I sort of had two board roles within a short period of each other. And um, I'd done the AICD course. Yes. So that was the other thing, which is an example. So that's the Australian Institute of Company Directors for those of you overseas, but they're equivalent um, training grounds for executives in every country, I, I'm sure. Yes. A lot of people in the um, US, do, they do the Harvard one, but there are some other ones as well that are very good certifications. Yes, and they're very good. And, you know, I, it actually helped me realise I knew a lot more about it than I thought. I did, uh, having sort of operated in that space. And uh, and so, you know, when the opportunities came up, I was, you know, relatively uh, you confident. The training and the yeah. confidence. Yeah. And ready, yes, to, to take that on. So, when you um, say people came to you and offer you those opportunities, were, were they professional network colleagues or were they like the mom who is the, you know, who goes to the same kindergarten as your son. I mean, how did that happen for that first one? Yeah, so the school one is just yeah. was a is a very remains a very close friend of mine. Uh, okay. and all her kids have gone through that school and right. she was she was on the board mm-hmm. um, and she thought my skill set would be helpful um, for, for the school. Uh, so yes, it was through her. So yeah. that's a personal networks. But I must say, you know, to your point, I think this is what, what you're getting at, Renata. You know, with those network um, connections, neither of those connections had been formed by me with any sort of agenda uh, that yeah. one day they would end up in board yes. appointments. You know, they would simply, because I had connections, I'd formed connections with people. But your um, executive presence was showing through regardless. You know, people knew what you did uh, for work and people focus so much on having a pitch and knowing what to say and when, when in fact all they need to do is operate in the right circles. (laughs) So if you're listening, you know, you have to attend events, you have to get out of your office and connect with people and not just at meetings, you know, at the water cooler, down at the coffee shop and let people get to know you you don't need to ask them for anything they just need to know who you are and what you do and I guess over time you know very organically Moana you have been doing that to some extent even without having a set agenda yeah that I suppose that that is true and I did get some good advice pretty early in my career which was never say no to a coffee and I've never said no to a coffee and I've always got something out of it and I hope have been able to give something Back. And I, I, you know, the, heard from other people speaking on your podcast about the importance of sponsors and mentors and, and guides. And I, I 100% agree with that. But I would also say 
make sure you are a sponsor and a mentor and a guide and that you are intentionally, you know, trying to help people um, and connect with people in that way. Yes, that, you're absolutely right. Have you, ever, have you ever had to apply for a board role? Have you had that experience? I'm very uh, interested yes. in how that happens. And yeah. Yes, um, so I applied. To, I recently joined the Movember People and Culture Committee and that was part of a recruitment uh, process. I must say I heard about the process through uh, my network, but, uh, yes, I was part of that recruitment process. Mm. Is it very um, competitive? Was it very... Yeah, it, look, it was uh, run by an executive recruiter and, you know, through a process that your listeners will be very familiar with, you know, you had, I had to be, I had went through a number of interviews and, uh, you know, did my own due diligence, which I do with every every board. Yes. And, and just, you know, through that process of uh, interviews, got to know the culture of the board and the sort of culture of the directors and um, right. the organisation and, and really very much thought it was a good, sort of cultural fit for me and a fantastic fit on purpose. And did you find that the interviews and the way that you've done your resume was very similar to the way you would have applied for a a previous role or sort of a senior exec role? Yes, uh, I I suppose I was careful with my CV to to really highlight the board, you know, the board experience. Uh, But I also, I mean, it was just a version of my normal CV, if you know what I mean, but I I just... uh, I love that. Yeah, I love that because I think people make so many excuses not to apply for boards, you know, saying, oh, I don't have the right CV. I haven't done a board CV yet. I'm like, <laughs> I, yeah, I look at okay. I, yeah, I mean, look, and I'm sure there's good, there's fantastic yeah. uh, board CVs, but I, I think if you, if you just look at it in the, the way you'd look at it for in applying for any role and just think, well, what are the key things that I want the person yeah. reading this to, to focus on in respect of this role? And, and just look at it that way. I mean, that's how I approach it. I love that you did the, the diligence. And I think it's important for every professional to do that before accepting an offer and through that recruitment and selection process. It's so important to read the financials, to know what you're walking into. Um, it doesn't have to be a board role, any role. Yes. You're interviewing them in the same way that they're interviewing you. Yes. So I think sign on the dotted line it's because you know who and what is hiring you right absolutely Hmm. well done and I mean what what is your usual process of doing a due diligence I mean you're a lawyer so you probably do a much more (laughs) thorough one than I but I'm very thorough I must say I have always been um yeah so look I of course I read what's available on the website of the um, organisation. I read annual reports. Mm-hmm. Um, I read them quite carefully, actually. So for the financials, but also, uh, you know, I always read the director's report very carefully and I look for, you know, how they're executing on the strategy um, and I particularly look for sort of culture, what I think about culture. And and then I speak to a lot of people. So I try and speak to people within the organisation, uh, of course, but then also try and speak to people um, who perhaps uh, had been at the organisation and then left the organisation. That's a good way to, to you know, learn about uh, the culture and the strategy. And, uh, you know, I, I suppose I, I really just try and interrogate the external information um, to understand if that's reflected on the inside. I 
going to ask you about what it is to be a chair and sort of the difference, but I think I'm jumping up a step a bit. First of all, I'd love to ask you about being a director, especially because you are you have been a director while still being in an operational role. And that rowing and steering, you know, it, that two levers that you, ha you have to switch on and off. And I have seen board members not able to switch off the rowing lever, if you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yes. they want to be embedded, they want to get their hands dirty in the operational matters at time. Yes. Not really, they don't know where, where that line is. And I wonder if you experienced that or where were you always very aware of you know, the difference between the two roles. Can you explain maybe to the listeners what the difference is? Yeah, well, look, I had, you know, the great fortune of having been in boards for 10 years before I went on a board on the other side of the table because in my professional life I was a company secretary and, or, you know, have been a company secretary and general counsel. Um, so I, that's a great advantage. So, you know, I've actually been in the boardroom at the board table and able to observe what I think, you know, to be very high performance as a director and have been able to, to watch and learn from some really great um, directors over the organisations, in the organisations that I've been in. Uh, so that's a huge advantage. And for me also, it was an opportunity to really understand in action how you operate differently as a director and how your oversight role is very different so different um, to, to your operational um, sort of management role. And so when I went into boards, I had had the opportunity to observe this. Putting it into practice, of course, is a different thing and it is a, it is a big adjustment and you really have to switch your mindset from really thinking, well, I own this and I'm driving this um, and I'm responsible for this to thinking, okay, I'm here in a, in a governance oversight role how can I effectively and appropriately challenge, but also, you know, coach and uh, sort of help the management team to achieve the business objectives? And so really that's through questioning and that's through, you know, offering insights from outside the organisation because that's the benefit that you bring in being, you know, an independent director or a non-executive director. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's, a very, it's a very different role. Yes, it is. And you're right that the company secretary opportunities gave you not only the insight, but also the ticket. Um, and I'm really, really interested to hear from you observing others join boards. What are the other common avenues to being an, an executive director? Because not everybody listening will have that experience. Yes. And I'm super keen to hear from you. Who else is joining boards these days? Yeah. So look, I think as your listeners will know. I mean, there's the the kind of more traditional skill sets that go that that boards look for, and obviously, you know, legal, accounting. You know, those are the more sort of traditional areas uh, where there is likely to be representation. However, uh, I think the importance of the remuneration committee. Uh, you know, it's it's very much a factor in Australian the Australian context, and I'm sure overseas boards as well. And you know, I think this real interest in ESG and CSR uh, and depending on the nature of the business and the nature of the board, you know, I think there are avenues in. So uh, because boards are so focused on uh, returns and, uh, you know, risk management 
in those sorts of areas. So I think also my observation is many boards are looking for sort of digital marketing um, or just that digital skill set. So there's quite a lot of areas, I think, where your professional experience may be of value. But I do think if you're looking to sort of target particular organisations or sectors, I do think you have to be quite realistic about um, and strategic uh, about where you would add most value in in terms of really focusing on, uh, you know, particular sectors or organisations where boards may be looking for your skill set. Yes. I have clients that believe that they need to be at the C-level before they join a board. Is that still a, a good reason or or no? I mean, I'm, I'm very sort of in two minds about this. I'm not really sure if that's the case. What do you think? I think it depends, <laughs> uh, which is probably, probably not a helpful answer. But as I said, you know, it's important to be strategic and realistic about how valuable your skill set is in particular sectors and if you're if you have digital deep digital skills that would be welcomed uh, in many organizations uh, at the board level you know then I think you've got a ticket to play in terms of targeting those sorts of organizations whether you're at the C-level or not now of course you you would have had to have pretty deep experience so you know uh, if, even if you're not at the sea level you'd need to be able to show that expertise and you know have board members really appreciate what you could bring to the table but i don't think it's i don't think it's necessarily a prerequisite i had an interesting conversation with a recruiter who does a lot of board placements and his comment to me was you know that that women and this is not He's very supportive of women executives and um, moving into board careers. But he said that women may not necessarily be at the sea level in try in moving towards a board career, and it's it's um, it just seems that there are more men at the sea level um, and potentially earlier in their career than women. Um, and now that's just statistically um, proven to be the case. It's um, not necessarily where we'd like it to be. Um, but And so, you know, his comment to me was, um, so women not at the sea level can certainly be, uh, you know, making moves towards a board career. So, yeah, so I would say not necessarily. But um, Yeah, so that's yeah. the first myth there. And I think it's um, great that you identified the, the key issue, which is the gender factor and the fact that women haven't yet achieved uh, parity at sea level, at partner level, and, you know, that may make themselves select themselves out of the race because they don't think that they're senior enough. But if you have a deep expertise that is of importance and relevant to that sector or that organization specifically, then give it a go. You never know where it's going to take you. The other thing that people do often is join a not-for-profit board first. My issue with that is that they join too many And then they burn themselves out because it is a hard job to do, even if it is a not-for-profit, right? Yeah, well, and it may end up being a lot more um, of a commitment on your time than a for-profit board, as we all know, um, because in the not-for-profit sector, you may be asked to actually roll up your sleeves and um, help occasionally with the sort of operational execution of things um, purely because of the limited capacity. So, so, Is yes. it still an important sandbox still to, to train directors before they join a paid position? Um, Is I it think, necessary? Yeah, I don't think it's necessary, no. Um, again, my answer would be it depends. And for me, I mean, I, I have been in the sort of not-for-profit area in terms of my board roles, but that's been 
because I've been balancing with a an executive career and because it's given me an opportunity to pursue for purpose uh, you know, to, to work with for-purpose organisations um, and to use my professional skill set in that capacity, yeah. which is something I've, that's what I've wanted to do. Having said that, you know, moving forward, I am looking to to sort of expand my board roles if, if that's available to me to, you know, the listed space and, uh, you know, the sort of for-profit um, private sector. But, but, you know, for me personally, it was intentional to go into that space. I don't think it's a prerequisite. It is a good way to uh, to sort of explore, as I have done, interests outside your executive interests, and to go into organisations that you wouldn't necessarily be exposed to, and you know, to have an impact uh, in that space. But you know, if you don't have that drive, then I don't think necessarily it's for you. Yes, I, I I'm glad that you mentioned that because it, you know a lot of executives think that that's the only thing that they can do after they graduate from their you know, full-time executive roles. And it's not. I mean, you're doing interning work. You've taken time off. You went and did a screenplay, you know, training in LA. Like you can do other things and you don't necessarily need to just go and become an an executive director. In fact, chances are you will not be able to because there aren't that many positions. Am I right? That's exactly right. Um, And I I definitely think, you know, if you think about your career in, in a very linear way you know I think there is a chance you'll be disappointed <laughs> um, uh, because you know it's great I think well my personal experience um, is it's great to have sort of broad goals uh, and it's great to have to target areas um, that you enjoy and to look at characteristics of organizations where you know that play to your strengths I think those are great things to have clear in your mind but I think there's always that element of, of opportunism uh, and I think there's always, there needs to be that openness. You, you need to have an openness to, um, you know, opportunities. Uh, and I certainly think in my career, I've really benefited from, from just having an open mind. If you're enjoying this conversation so far, you will really enjoy part two. So make sure that you subscribe, follow and watch out for episode 105 when Moana and I will be discussing her role as chair of the Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission. See you then. Bye.